0: Since 1971, Beauty Books has specialized in ornithology and natural history. They're a small, family-owned and operated mail-order bookstore with the largest selection of new, used and rare birding and ornithology books in the world, and a knowledgeable staff ready to help. Find field guides, travel guides, ornithology, natural history, humor, even children's books to inspire the next generation's love of nature. Visit Beautyobooks.com to find everything you're looking for and ABA members receive 10% off. Hello and welcome to the American Birding Podcast from the American Birding Association. I am your host, Nate Swick, and I am back from Panama, where I was traveling with a group of podcast fans. Well, I imagine they would have to be if they went all the way to Panama with me. And as you might expect, it was a pretty freaking amazing trip. First though, I want to thank my ABA colleague and friend Frank Izagiri for covering for me last week. He did a great job. So good, in fact, that I will probably lean on him again in the future sorry not sorry frank Uh, i've been to the neotropics a handful of times before this was easily one of my best experiences not least of which because i shared it with a bunch of fun people and for many of them this was their very first time in the tropics and based on their reactions i suspect it will not be the last Uh, we certainly did it up we started at canopy tower one of the iconic eco lodges in the american tropics maybe even The world. It is in the canal zone. In fact, you can see ships passing on the Panama Canal from the top of the tower, which is cool from a historic and engineering perspective. Uh, It is a short distance away from Gamboa, the gateway to Pipeline Road, long considered one of the premier birding sites in the neotropics. It did not disappoint and from there, we headed over to Canopy Lodge on the west side of the canal, where it's a little higher up, a little cooler in temperature. Had some amazing birds there too. Of more to say on all of that in a future episode with Ted Floyd that I'm planning on recording very shortly, who is also in the tropics recently. We will compare our lists. All that nitty-gritty will be coming up next week. This is just an overview. Um, you know, I thoroughly enjoyed the toucans, the mop mats, the tanagers, the hummingbirds, the euphonias and the ampida and the ground cuckoo. Yes, we got it. With this crew, um, I had a feeling that American Birding Podcast listeners were all wonderful, enthusiastic people who would be easy to spend a week with, and well, I was not proven wrong. So thank you, B, and Dan, and Bob, and Linell and Paul, and my dad, Greg, for coming. Y'all were such a pleasure to share Panama with, and Carlos Betancourt, my goodness, There's a reason he has such a good reputation. We had the good fortune to have him for almost the entire time, and he is really amazing at what he does, both as a birder in the field and as a communicator and educator. Top tier, through and through. Birds, logistics, lodging, all of it. Fantastic. I can't wait to get back to the tropics, be it Panama or anywhere else. Hey, if you are interested in traveling with the ABA to the American Tropics and uh, other places around the world, please check out their travel website, slash travel. Katinka just put up a bunch of exciting destinations for 2023. You can make those plans now. On the show this week, because I was out, uh, I'm going back to the archives to bring you an interview I first ran in our second year, so long ago, with Bryony Angel about birding with young children it was the second part of a conversation that i had first with ted floyd that conversation is in episode 0210, if you want to go back and you know do them both anyway briny's perspective is fun and informative i hope you enjoy it we'll get to it after this week's rare birds this is your rare bird focus for the middle of September 2022. What is the deal with small-billed Alania in the ABA area recently? Are there really more birds showing up? Are birders looking harder for them? Who can tell? But a small-billed Alania on Southeast Farallon Island off San Francisco is a California first record, all the more notable because California has the largest list in the ABA area. It is also the fifth for the entire ABA area. Southeast Farallon is only accessible to researchers, so this is not a chaseable bird. Perhaps the weirdest part, though, was that the eBird Checklist featuring the Alania also featured California's first record of northern gannet, which first came to the island in 2017 and has been hanging out ever since. There haven't been any other first records this week, but there have been a few interesting second records. Idaho's second record of acorn woodpecker was seen this week in the center of the state. Colorado's second sulfur-bellied flycatcher was at the rarity magnet of Chico Basin Ranch in El Paso County. And Rome, Georgia, hosted that state's second tropical kingbird, a bird that was initially found on the ABA's What's This Bird Facebook group. Track record of What's This Bird Facebook group? continues to be very good those are the highlights of the week but for a full accounting you can check out the aba rare bird alert on fridays at aba.org rba you can also follow along with all of the rare bird news that you can handle in our aba rare bird alert group on facebook When Ted Floyd and I did our Birding Without Tears episode a few weeks ago, we were called to the carpet, justifiably, I should add, by the fact that we were only telling half of the story. Uh, Ted and I are both birding dads, and our experiences are similar, but not exactly like those of birding moms. And plus, you know, birding with kids is a topic that we love to explore here, and I know I have a lot of listeners who enjoy it as well. So to help Tell us the rest of the story. I'm joined by Seattle-based writer and naturalist, uh, Bryony Angel. She has written quite a bit in various outlets on nature exploration with kids, and I'm, I'm happy she's able to join us today. Uh, welcome, Bryony. Thank you. Before we get too deep into it, how old are your children and, and how do you engage in the natural world with them?
1: Well, my, my son is eight. And my daughter just turned one. So the way I engage with them is very different uh, because yeah. of their ages. <laughs> Although I have to say, my son was a perfect uh, trial run for what I'm now doing with my daughter. Yeah. Um, w- with both of the children, uh, when they're young and I can still carry them, uh, I would get out in the field as much as I can uh, while they're still light enough. And they generally sleep. So it's not disruptive. Yeah. If I can. I can, uh, you know, look at a bird and walk some distance uh, to make it worthwhile. Um, but since my son has been mobile, uh, I let a few years go by before trying to get him into birding. Mm-hmm. But just around the house, uh, it was really easy just to, to have his help filling bird feeders helping wash them, just pointing out all the yard birds and, and also asking him about bird song that he hears. Uh, and I've, I've been doing that since he was about three.
0: Yeah. I've also found, you know, with my, my children that, um, when they hear something, they, they know that dad most, most times knows what it is. (laughs) And like, they'll just ask, you know, what is that? That's something that they're, they're always definitely curious about. I found, I found the same thing. Do you have, uh, resources and, and books and stuff? Out around your house just for them to pick up.
1: Oh, I do, but you know, my my son is not naturally interested in birds. Um, I get the it's uh, yet to be seen whether my daughter will be. Right. Um, so I mean, he knows where all the the field guides are, and and we read the occasional nature book. But he's pretty typical of his age. He's really into cars and video games. <laughs> yeah, and, no, I hear but, that. <laughs> but one thing, one thing that has stuck. Uh, which I'm a proud birder mother to admit, (laughs) is that he, that early training of birding by ear, he can hear through layers of sound and he'll sometimes comment on something that even, you know, I might've missed, you know, when I was distracted doing something else. So he's definitely in tune with Birdsong, whether he likes it or not, <laughs> that's that stuck.
0: Yeah, that is really interesting. I've found something similar as well. You brought up some good points in your, your criticism of the original episode, and I wanted to hit on some of them because I, I think that they were the sort of thing that listeners would be interested in too. Um, I think we understand that as parents, you sort of have limited free time a lot of the time, even, even with a supportive partner. When you are birding with kids, and I'm kind of using that term in quotes, uh, what does a satisfying outing look like to you?
1: That's a great question. Um, It's not about me. (laughs) Um, If if I am purposefully going out birding with my kids, if they're young enough, it is about me, as I mentioned earlier. You know, and they're just asleep on my person. Right. Um, But once they're kids with you know, personality and opinions. Mm -hmm. I (laughs) would say a (laughs) a successful day is going to be not super long and it's going to have to involve other stuff on the field trip aside from just birds. And Mm -hmm. this is key, bringing one of their pals with them. Uh, I, I no longer take my son out birding with me just by himself it would it's just torture for me (laughs) uh his it just yeah he has zero interest but there's this he's very peer-oriented at this age um as he's eight and uh that helps facilitate getting out i would say for anything even hiking um, anything in the outdoors. If if there's a friend along, it's it's more likely to be successful.
0: You've written about that sort of peer orientation of that age groups, and it, it, yeah, you're absolutely right. Have you had any success with community walks, like sort of externally coordinated walks that are specifically aimed at people with kids with families?
1: I haven't done that yet. I, re- I really want to. Yeah, um, yeah I yeah. know Seattle Seattle Audubon, uh, the organization that I'm active with in in my community they do neighborhood bird walks including ones that are hosted by young men and so uh, you know these young guys who i who I know you know through the birding community they're really cool and i would think i think if i got my son in front of one of them he might be inspired to listen a little more intently i mean these guys are in their early 30s so they're it's not like they're teenagers but i i like seeing the youth leading yeah. these walks oh, I, totally uh, agree. I think it's it speaks more to the kids who are on the
0: walks. So many bird walks are like already sort of adult-oriented, which makes sense. I mean, that's that's the audience of a lot of Audubon chapters and bird clubs. But it seems like it could be a really great opportunity to attract young professionals with kids, which has always been sort of a really tough nut to crack for these sort of groups.
1: Yes, I agree. Um, that's definitely something that is changing in certainly in the organization that I'm involved with. Um, Seattle has got a huge resources so i grew up in seattle so i've seen the change um just the the options for summer camp are staggering compared to what was available when i was a kid back in the you know the late 70s and the early 80s yeah and that includes nature camps and uh Mm -hmm. but there's i think the the traditional approach has been um Separate stuff for adults and separate stuff for kids, and now there's the merging, you know, the the bringing of the parents with the children, almost like Cub Cub Scouts, which I mean that's one of the reasons why Cub Scouts is so, or you know, the Scouts now, yeah, um, that's a great they drop point. the boys bit, and it's because of that time with your parents with some kind of extra outdoor adventure
0: thrown in. I know. I mean, it's something that is is still relatively new. I know that there are some bird festivals that offer family-friendly field trips. Uh, Lower Rio Grande Valley does that, uh, which I think is great. It will grow the birding community in addition to like getting kids into it in the, fa- in the sense that, you know, people are more inclined to do things if they can do this sort of activity with their families. The only problem of course being is that, you know, with all volunteer led organizations that you really have to find that perfect person to do it, uh, which can be a difficult thing.
1: Yeah, that's true. Um, There is a, but this was prior to my having children. I uh, went, I've been going to this festival in Eastern Washington for years. It's the Othello, Othello crane festival. Othello is the town where it takes place. And one thing I noticed about them is that they have their all of their bus tours are kid friendly, and they're fun. You know, the novelty of being on a school bus, yeah, the yeah. instant gratification of seeing these gigantic birds yes. in the hundreds or thousands. Right. Yeah. And then the duration of the tour is only two hours, so it just—it's just a magical combination. Yeah, it hits it's a lot
0: of points. Yeah. Kid
1: friendly, um, but you're right. It's it's few and far between, and I have noticed some some tours even have age minimums for these bird festivals and then some things they the kid activities are things like crafts mm-hmm. which to me don't um, they,
0: they appeal to certain kids certainly but uh yes, not everyone
1: they do not appeal to my son no, I hear yeah. that. yeah and i mean my 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 son is more impressed by skins yeah. or live birds and uh,
0: you mentioned spectacles um yeah i, I mean i totally agree. I was going to bring that up. You know, one of the things that I have been meaning to do with my son now that he's he's nine and can travel a little bit longer distances is take them to a place where you can see these sort of giant spectacles of birds where you don't have to work too hard to see them too. Um, you know, half a million tundra swans is, is quite a sight. I mean, that's the sort of thing that can really, really grab a kid, even if it's not, you know, not a rare bird or anything. Kids, I mean, they love that stuff.
1: Yeah. And I've even found just Um, circumstantial birding. Sometimes we take a ferry to the San Juan islands frequently. I mean, but Seattle Puget Sound is, is a very ferry driven community. Mm -hmm. And so oftentimes on the, the pilings around the ferries, you know, just as you're either unloading or unloading, uh, you can just look to your right or left and there's a cormorant on an, on, you know, on eggs or there's, there's cormorant chicks and, um, right there, you know, five feet away. So that's, that can be really cool to point that out to.
0: Seattle's got to be great for that too. I mean, the proximity of people to wildlife is actually really fantastic up there.
1: I would agree. Yes. (laughs) Not just for, for birds, but I mean, just the Marine, the Marine life is, yeah, it's, we're, we're really lucky.
0: So what sort of places do you look for when you know you are going to be heading out with into the field with your kids?
1: Well, I tend to do seasonal birding. Um, I Mm. say probably I don't bird more than four times a year with my kids if the purpose is to go birding with them. Um, I get out a lot more frequently on my own. So I look for stuff that is, um, well, for instance, the winter birding. up in the Skagit Valley, uh, north of Seattle, there are lots of Arctic migrants. So, like you mentioned, the tundra swans. We've got a few tundra swans, but definitely it's more um, trumpeter swans and snow ge- snow geese. And the snow geese are especially impressive. They just blanket the fields up there, and there mm. it's you know, it's all flat farmland. It's a classic river delta, and so you can see for miles, and you can you can even see the fields of white up ahead, and and know where to go, and uh, those fields of white being the snow geese, of course. Uh, so that's impressive to kids. Plus, there are no there are no leaves on the trees, and so you can see everything. You can see these you know blo- these blots, uh, which turn out to be eagles or mm-hmm. rough legged hawks. And every once in a while, uh, I don't, but my kids haven't seen one yet. But um, we see short-eared owls which is always a oh
0: those are so always cool. a
1: crowd pleaser <laughs> yeah. yeah there's something oh, about owls. Favorites. yeah they just those are real um I would say owls are real conversion birds for anyone who's a new birder
0: yeah absolutely there's a there's a park that's right next to a like a shopping mall in my hometown of Greensboro and there are barred owls that nest there every year and it's just like super convenient to go and just find the nest. I mean, they can hide like barn owls do, but a lot of times when they're when they're on when they have chicks in the nest, like they're moving quite a bit, bringing food pretty constantly, and it's just so cool to see. You know, not just my kids when I bring them there and show it to them, but but everybody like there's this whole community that comes around these owls. There's a real sense of ownership among these owls in the neighborhood. It's really neat to see.
1: Yeah, yeah, and that's a. I mean, to your point, that's another thing that that you know if you if someone wants to get their kids out to see a bird if there's a well-known nest somewhere and the bird is I wouldn't I mean habituated isn't probably the right word but the bird is not stressed by visits, visits right that's a great place to take your kid you know it's just the it's the instant gratification the, the kids kids just don't have a lot of patience to for the the, <laughs> yes. the, the chase you know as that the, yeah. the adults enjoy so much And uh, and they want to be able to see it easily. You know, if it's going to be hard to see, they're going to lose interest really quick. And then the other I've mentioned this before, but something where they're, you know, they could have a pal along who might be halfway interested.
0: You mentioned a little bit about both Ted and I, when we talked, we were both dads, but there are some issues that maybe we are not entirely aware of, uh, particularly having to do with getting out and sort of off the beaten path sort of places, maybe safety issues. Do you think there are issues that that moms? who are taking their kids birding need to worry about more than perhaps, perhaps I need to?
1: Well, that's a good question. I, I've never been, I've never experienced any kind of unease when I'm out with my kids or, you know, because of often cases that I'm with another parent, uh, another mom usually. So there's just this, um, just sort of safety in numbers that that we're experiencing. And maybe it has, to do, maybe we've got boys. I don't, I don't know. Um, but certainly, if you know, the times I've, I've birded by myself or with, with a female companion, there's, there's definitely things have come up. Um, I don't know. Children are kind of a buffer. They just yeah. There, there's something they bring out the best in people or the worst, but you know the worst usually <laughs> is not just somebody being grumpy.
0: Yeah, people are inclined to keep their mouths shut yeah. when their kids around. At, at least that, or at least that,
1: be on their better behavior.
0: Right, right, right. I think we we both agree that birding with kids is a lot about what the parent wants as much or, or more than what the kids want a lot of time. And there's you know a certain amount of managing expectations that is part of it. Are there certain ways to make the experience good for the birding parent and fun for the kids? How how have you managed to accomplish? that?
1: Uh, I am, uh, this is one of my mantras. I'm a sucker for a walk. So if I can combine (laughs) exercise for me, exercise for my kid Mm -hmm. and seeing birds, that is a satisfying Mm -hmm. day for me. So there are some short hikes in these areas where, where there is really satisfying birding. Um, In another river Delta down South of Seattle, which is better in the springtime, there's a boardwalk which any kind of novelty like a boardwalk is is a total yeah, it's true. total uh, green light for kids and so that's about a 2 mile loop walk and mm-hmm. You know the kids are contained, they can't get into trouble so they could run off ahead and then double back. Yeah. And I mean, so those the sort of environments where you know they're safe and there's a they've got some freedom to run run around and there's there's terrific birding uh, just because it's that yeah. time of the year. Uh, that is that's a perfect day with kids
0: do you, do you have any advice for parents with maybe older kids? You know, a lot of times as kids get older, they're so, their life kind of gets filled with all these activities and stuff. Um, I, I'm, I'm seeing a little bit of it. My son is interested in sports. So, like, we have stuff like every weekend. Uh, how do you find time to bird when your life can be so hectic?
1: Well, that, I have a perfect answer to that. So I grew up birding uh, with my parents, and I was also very busy. But without fail, we would bird at least once a year on New Year's New Year's Day or New Year's Eve, and so this was a this was our family tradition. We'd go up to the again the Skagit River Valley. It's just this it's a Shangri La of birdiness, <laughs> and so we knew that that was that was always going to be something we did. And my my sister and I, I'm a twin, so we. We knew this was always coming, and our, our interest in birds kind of waned as teenagers. We definitely came back to it yeah. in our twenties, but it, we were welcome to invite our girlfriends and you know as many people as we could fit in the car, and and it was just a it was a fun day of just kind of tailgating, you know, drinking hot coffee and.
0: Yeah
1: picking up sandwiches. And those days, the um, salmon runs were really impressive. And so we would drive up the Skagit River and see uh, just hundreds of eagles. Well, maybe uh, that's exaggerating. I would say maybe, you know, (laughs) 100 plus eagles um, along the Skagit feeding on these salmon that had spawned and died. And, And it was just fascinating to go walk along the river bank because we'd pull off and and there'd be this, basically the carcass that would still be alive. I mean, it was impressive (laughs) how long those salmon can persist. And we don't do that anymore because the runs are so much smaller, and which Mm. is a real uh, tragedy for this region. But that's another story. Um, So to answer your question, to get back to the the original question, I think with teenagers who are really busy, older kids, uh, maybe... Mm winnowing it down to one or two special days a year that
0: big experience that
1: become the the family tradition or you know something you talk about years later and I mean to this day I still go out with my dad not as often and I've taken my son I had a blog post about it three generations of angels birding (laughs) Mm-hmm. And, and to the Skagit, the usual stomping grounds.
0: Yeah, that's great. Yeah, no, and I really like the idea of um, taking friends, too, because then your kid has that investment and, you know, they're sharing part of themselves with their, with their peers as well, which is a really neat thing.
1: Yeah. And actually, the friends who we took still reference those memories. Yeah. So it, yeah. It's, it's, uh, it makes an impression.
0: Thanks again, uh, Bryony. This is, this is great discussion, and I appreciate you offering your experience and your thoughts. Uh, Bryony Angel is a writer and birder from Seattle, Washington. You can find her stuff, including more thoughts about burning with kids on her website, bryonyangel.com. Thanks again. Thank you. The American Birding Podcast is brought to you by the American Birding Association. We are a membership organization, and if you enjoy this podcast, you can help support it by supporting the ABA with your membership. There are many benefits, like our magazines, discounts to our partners, and opportunities to travel with us, among others. You can get information at aba.org join. I have some shout-outs to make this week. Andrew Dapkins of Mount Holly Springs, Pennsylvania. Noah Gale of Freeport, Maine. Paul McPartland of Needham, Massachusetts. Adam Osborne of Camden, South Carolina. Sean Fatch of Chicago, Illinois. Catherine Raspett of Moss Beach, California. Ryan Salzman and family of Ellicott City, Maryland. Jedediah Smith of Saratoga, Wyoming. Matt Southgate of Georgetown of a, a unknown location. Sorry about that, Matt. And Wearley of Woodenville, Washington. Rebecca Weiss of Aspen, Colorado. And Bob Neiman of Carlsbad, New Mexico, who came on the trip to Panama and told me that I forgot his name in the credits when he joined the ABA and noted the podcast as a reason for doing so. Sorry about that, Bob. I hope that traveling to the tropics with me makes up for that oversight. All of these people joined the ABA and noted the podcast as a reason for doing so. Thank you so much and welcome to the ABA. Executive Director of the ABA and Executive Producer of the podcast is Nikki Belmonte, who asks if a tree full of singing euphonias could be called a cacophonia. Techno production is by John Lowry, who talked glowingly about the time he went to Canopy Tower and had three species of toucan in one day, a phenomenon he calls a six-pack. Additional help comes from David Hartley and Greg Neese, who similarly have requested that multiple Mott Mott's on one checklist be referred to using exponents. For example, a checklist containing Rufus, Broadbilled, and Lessons motmot would be written as Mott to the 6th. You can find us online at aba.org and on social media. Most everywhere is American Birding Association. On Twitter, we are at ABA. When I go to the tropics, I always break the trogans into species that look mean, like slaty-tailed, and the ones that look cute, like gartered, a profiling technique that I call trajection. Questions, comments can come to podcast at aba.org. I'm Nate Swick. Thank you for listening. Stay healthy, everybody. See you next week.